Thank you for joining us for this message in our current series called Stand Your Ground. Pastor Kurt Ains is talking about how to study your Bible. Also, we love hearing stories of how God has changed your life through Access and ResLife. Send your stories over to access at reslife.org. We would love to hear them. I wanted to start the night off by reading you guys something. Uh, something came to mind that I had just listened to a couple days ago in a message that uh, my buddy Mike King here sitting up in the front row sent me uh, a message that he wanted me to watch the other day, and I watched this message, and there was one portion of the message in particular where this pastor shared something that I want to share with you guys, uh, and it really has to do with uh, those of us, which is, is probably the majority of us, who, of us who feel like uh, we're unqualified to do something great for God. Uh, and I have something to say to you guys, and I, I'm going to read something and, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool here. It's about the 12 disciples. And the question is, were they management material? I.e., were they qualified to serve Jesus? So, check this out. This is a memo. And it's to Jesus, the son of Joseph, who's a wood carpenter at the wood carpenter shop in Nazareth. And who, this is from the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem. It says this. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for your management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests. We have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. (laughs) It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership whatsoever. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning, doubting attitude that would tend to undermine morale. And we feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely yours, the Jordan Management Consultants. That's pretty good, isn't it? Suffice to say, though, You know, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. And you're all called. Amen? Amen. So, last week, I said that this series is more of a teaching series, but I actually want to retract that statement. I actually think that this series that we're in right now is more of a pastoral series. And um, it's, it's really a series of messages about the importance of the Word of God. Uh, Before I get started, I want to say a couple things. Rick Warren has some great small group material 
on the stuff that we're going to be covering. I, I took a lot of what I'm going to teach you guys tonight from that. Uh, he's, his small group material is called 40 Days in the Word. So if you're in a small group and you want to dive deeper into the Word of God, learning about it, understanding it, grasping it, meditation, revelation, all the things that we talked about last week, get 40 days in the Word. You will not be um, disappointed there. Uh, also, I wanted to recommend one other book on apologetics that's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by a guy named Josh McDowell. Uh, I'll probably get in, be getting into some of that next week. But if you wanted to get a head start, pick up that book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Good read. Um, but for tonight, I want to get back to what we're talking about and where this thing was birthed. Uh, and, and this is our springboard text out of Ephesians 6, starting in verse 13. It says this, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Everybody say, stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is, everybody say it with me, the word of God. Again, stand your ground. It means this. It's from the word antihistamine. Antistami is the Greek word, and this is what it means. Anti, against, histami, to cause, to stand. The verb suggests vigorously opposing, bravely resisting, standing face to face against an adversary, standing your ground. Just as an antihistamine puts a block on histamine, antistami tells us that with the authority and spiritual weapons granted to us, we can withstand evil forces. Someone say amen. 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 Now, in addition to all this, just like last week, we printed off a two-sided sheet for you guys to follow along. And I printed out the notes for you guys to do that, so it's right underneath you guys. So if you haven't done so already, look right beneath your feet. Go ahead and grab that piece of paper, and there's a pen for you as well. And you guys can go ahead and follow along with me. Um, as we move forward. Now, one of the things that I knew coming into this particular uh, series of messages was this. I understand, I very much understand that a lot of people don't make it a habit to read the Word of God. If we're just being honest, right? Can we be honest tonight? And I think a, a reason for that and a reason why is simply because you've never really fully understood and been able to grasp what the Word of God is about from Genesis to Revelation. You've never been taught. Hence, I asked the question back in September, and about a half dozen people raised their hand and said, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been taught. And that was it, you know, out of a, out of a couple few hundred people. I mean, that's, that's, that's not a good thing, right? So it's not your fault. So I want to help you with that. That's why I made a promise and said, I'm going to do something about that for you guys. So I understand that it's not necessarily uh, currently for many people a, a, a practice to be in the Word of God daily, but it is absolutely important, and that's my whole goal in this series is to try to get you to understand one, and that's what the first two weeks are going to be about, understanding the Word of God. Listen, how many of you know that, you know, I said last week, I don't understand a lot of things. Like, I don't, I don't understand women necessarily, but I got married, right? Okay? And, and my wife, I understand her more today than I did when we got married. 
And guess what? My love for her has grown since we've got married. The more I understand her, the more I love her. The more you guys understand the word of God, the more you're gonna fall in love with it. And that's my whole goal, is that you guys would fall in love with God more through reading, studying, understanding the word of God. Please say amen to that. So that's what this is all about. Um, I think that's gonna happen. So without further delay, let's just dive right in. You guys can follow along in your notes. Matthew 7, verse 24, it says this. Everyone, turn to your neighbor say, that means you. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Disciples of Jesus Christ don't merely read, listen, and just hear the word of God. They put it into practice in their lives. So here's a few things that we need to know about the Bible. One is this. It was written over a period of, and you got some blanks there you need to fill in. Follow along here. It was written over a period of 1,600 years in over 12 countries on three continents and also in three different languages by people from all walks of life. Now, that's pretty incredible, friends. Why is that so incredible? Here's why. If it were written by only one person, it would make sense that the whole thing would be uniform and it would all fit together, right? If it was just written by one person. For instance, the Quran was written by Muhammad. It's all uniform. It was written by one person. The writings of Buddha, written by Buddha, it's, it's uniform. Buddhism, right? It's, it's, it's all uniform, written by one person. But the Bible, the Bible, it was written by poets, by prophets, by princes, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, farmers, shepherds, scholars, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, and businessmen. They wrote it in caves, in palaces, in ships, homes, prisons, and in the desert. Now, how in the world do you have a 1,600 span of time in 12 different countries, on three different continents, in three different languages, and have this book all be uniform, how does that happen? How in the world does that happen? Let me tell you how. Because there were about 40 writers, but there was only one author. There's about 40 writers, but there's only one author, and his name is God. And this book... The good book is his autobiography. Man penned it, God authored it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. It all came from God, and it is useful. I want you to see that word. It is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, and then catch this, so that. There's a so that, I love the so that's in the Bible, so that the servant of God, you and I may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is useful, friends. All scripture is useful. And you may be thinking, you know, I don't know about the Old Testament, man. I don't know if Leviticus is useful, you know. No, listen. <laughs> All scripture is useful. Now, if you're, if you're new to reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and you're having a difficult time grasping it, here's what I would suggest to you. If you're new to you know, following Jesus and, and, and really trying to live this life we call Christianity, if you're new to, 
park in the New Testament, okay? All right? Park in the New Testament, get yourself a message translation, get an NLT, something like that to where you can understand it. Don't go King James in on me right away, okay? Because you're not gonna understand all the thou shalts and this, okay? You, you may not even know what the King James is. So park, park in the New Testament, but never, 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 never forget that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. All scripture is useful, even the Old Testament, which I'm gonna show you more of that next week. So uh, real quick, we're gonna do an overview of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm gonna fly through this. We're not gonna spend a lot of time. I just wanted to make you guys aware of a few things. Here it is. The first five books is known as the law, otherwise known as the Pentateuch. Um, and it's Genesis through Deuteronomy. The, uh, the next portion is historical, which is full, it, it's, it's made up of 12 books, which is Joshua through Esther. And then you have the poetical books, just five books. It's Job through the Song of Solomon. And then you have what we call the prophetical books of the Old Testament. That's 17 books in total. Now there's five what we call major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, and then we have 12 minor prophets which is Hosea through Malachi. Now, why do they call some major prophets and why do they call some minor prophets? It's not because some of them are more bad to the bone than others, okay? And I think that's what many of us think, but that's not the case. It's actually just because those particular books are longer than the others, okay? So simple way to remember it. The minor prophets, shorter. Major prophets, those books are longer. Have you ever read Isaiah? <laughs> a long book. Okay, Overview of the New Testament, real quick, Gospels. Gospel simply means good news, and it's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which contain the eyewitness accounts of people who followed Jesus. If you're new to reading the Bible, start in Matthew. Start in Matthew and go right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, okay? And, and, and you're, not gonna, you're not gonna lose out there. So, um, Acts is the next book after John, which is a historical record of the first century church, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Then you have the epistles, which Paul wrote most of these. There's 21 books in all, and it, it takes us from Romans through Jude. And then we have the final book of the Bible, which is Revelation, which is the prophecy of the end days, the last days, and then eternity and what that's going to be like. So now what I want to share with you, I said all that to, to get to the place where we're going to be, which if you flip over to the, the back side of your paper, follow along. This is actually gonna be really cool and I hope that this helps every single one of us out. I know it helped me out. So I wanna share with you what it's called, it's like the plot of the Bible. And, and what, you're, what you see on that sheet there uh, is actually called the mirror image. Um, this mirror image is actually gonna give all of us this great picture in mirror form and it's kinda gonna take us on a walk through the whole story of the Bible from start to finish. But it's like the Cliff's Notes on the Bible. Somebody say amen to that. Give me the cliff notes on that. This is gonna help you out tremendously to understand the plan of God from Genesis to Revelation in mirror form. It's beautiful. So the whole story of the Bible starts out with this. Now I want you to start from bottom left, okay? And you're gonna see it up on the screen too. So if you wanna follow up on the screen, feel free to do that. And then you can fill along on, on your paper as, uh, as we move forward. But the whole story of the Bible starts out with this. God and righteous man in paradise. God and righteous man in paradise. Righteous meaning Adam and Eve, they were perfect. They had perfect relationship with God. There was no shame, there was no fear, there was no nothing. Everything was hunky-dory, it was all good. 
It truly was the perfect world as God had always intended it to be. Then Satan and sin enter. Satan and sin enter into God's perfect world. And now what sin does, everybody, is this. It separates us from God. That's the best way to, to, to know what sin does. Sin separates us from God. God is holy, and unholiness can't be in his presence. So there's this gap that is created due to the sin between us and God. And for those of us who have never received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we still feel that gap, and it exists because of sin. So how do you know if you're living in sin? You're here and you're saying, man, how do I know if that's me and I'm living in sin? Listen, it's not hard to figure out. Your life is in chaos because that's what sin does. Sin causes chaos. It brings chaos into your life. You can see people, and, and this is, my life used to be chaos. Say amen, honey. Say louder, honey. Amen. Yeah. I used to, because of sin, my life was a mess. It was in chaos, and uh, that's how you know. Your life gets all jacked up because that's what sin does. So when things got so chaotic when sin entered the world due to sin that God decided to hit the reset button, if you will, and then the world was judged and destroyed. Now, this is the story of Noah and the flood. God found a righteous man. Remember, God and righteous man in the garden. God found a righteous man in Noah, and he says, I'm going to rebuild with that guy. And he says, let's, let's try this thing again. Well, that didn't work out as planned, right? Sin kept causing more chaos in the world. So man's attempt to reconcile sin was to build a tower. This tower is known as the Tower of Babel. And they tried to build this tower to the heavens so that they could get to God, so that they could become like God. And what they actually created was this one-world government system where they, they, they tried to have the same language, right? They wanted the same language, the same goal. We can't get to God, so you know what? Let's overtake God. Well, that didn't work either, so God ends up confusing their language and then different nations were birthed because of it. So God says, <laughs> let me get involved up in here a little bit more. So he creates this system, and, and, and a system or an order, if you will. And that order is known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and he chooses Israel as his holy people. Israel, it was God's holy people. So he says, I'm going to pick one people group and I'm going to set them in order with the hope that it will spread to the rest of the world. So this is what the rest of the Old Testament is about. It's about his story and his, God's story and his struggles with the nation and the people of Israel. So he sends the law, he sends instructions, they have sacrifices. None of that ended up working either because the problem is this. The law was all external. They tried to obey it, but they couldn't because it wasn't in their hearts. And we never change, friends, hear me, please. We never change. We never change unless our hearts change. When our hearts change, our lives change. And Jesus knew this. When, when we change internally, you see, so many of us want things externally to just change. And God is saying, listen, if you'll just let me have your heart, if you'll just give me your heart, I'll change your heart, and when your heart changes, Things on the external, things on the outside are going to change for you, but you got to trust me. Amen. So this is the problem. The law was all external. They couldn't obey it. They couldn't perform it. And, uh, and that, you know, they needed an internal change. And God did this, though. He, he, he gave them the law and all these different instructions and the sacrifices to let people see how badly 
We needed his help because we couldn't do this on our own. We needed a God intervention. And then God's plan of redemption, his ultimate plan to save the world enters the picture, everybody. This was his ultimate plan, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shows up on planet earth, the hope of the world. Somebody say amen. amen. And now instead of following rules so that you can change, Jesus shows up and he says, listen, if you'll just follow me, you'll change. If you'll just follow me, you'll change in the process. And if we follow Jesus with our lives, you know, our hearts are going to change. And when our hearts change, again, our lives change. So he says this, I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit so that my laws no longer have to be written out on tablets, but now I'm going to write my laws on their hearts. That's Hebrews chapter 8 if you want to check it out. But it's a miracle. But it, this happens when we say yes to following Jesus Christ with our life. So Jesus says, I'm going to change some things, and I'm going to do it a new way this time, and I'm going to do it through my 12 disciples, no longer the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm going to build my church, which isn't just Israel anymore, but the whole world gets to play now, everybody. It's Gentiles and Jews alike. Everybody gets to play this game. And he says, I'm going to build that church, otherwise known as God's holy people, and the gates of hell are in some serious trouble. Come on, somebody. The gates of hell are in some serious trouble when, you know, you got some real radical Jesus-following people. And uh, he says, I want my church just to simply to relate to me. And when they do, and when they get this right, and I want you to hear me, because this is, this is for all of us, because you're all in this. It's not just pastors and preachers and teachers and evangelists. All of us get to play, and we all play a part in seeing this happen. He says, if my church will just relate to me, and when they do, and when they get this right, they will change the world as we know it. That's always been our purpose, is to change the world around us. Not to become like the world around us, but to change the world around us. How many of you know we're not supposed to look like the world around us? We are supposed to look different. And if Jesus gets a hold of your heart, it's over. <laughs> You ain't going to look like the world no more, people. And that's okay. And that's okay. And if some of you are scared about that, I understand. I was there before. And I'm just here to tell you something. Why wait? Just go all in and all out for the one who gave everything so that you could have a new heart. He could take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh and give you the Holy Spirit who is a promise and a guarantee of the things that are to come. Who doesn't want some of that? Change me, Lord. I don't want to be like my surroundings. Man, I'll tell you what. If you think following Jesus is weird, be weird. Get you some weird. Because normal, friends, hasn't been working for a long time. So, I want to say something about this particular period of time, the 12 disciples, the church. This is exactly where we are at in, the hist in, in, in history right now. All of us are living in this time period right now. This is where we are in the history of God. And what we need to understand is this. People have always, always, even when Jesus walked the earth, people have always rejected Jesus. People have always rejected the church. And I don't think that I need to tell you that people are now rejecting Jesus and the church at a whole new level. And it's quite alarming you know, even when I was a kid, I can remember um, that church and prayer and, and believing in God and, 
and uh, wanting to attend church and wanting your kids to grow up in a church, that was extremely normal. And uh, it was really accepted, Christianity was really accepted everywhere, but that is not the case today, friends. Unfortunately, that's not the case today. And today, the world and the church could not be more polar opposite from one another. The world is moving further and further away from the truth, which is also another reason why I wanted to do this series. The world is moving further. Have you watched any of the presidential campaigns? <laughs> the world is moving further and further away from the truth, which is the word of God. And you know which way they're heading? This should concern us because all we have to do is actually flick on the news station. We don't even need to open our Bible to see this one. The world is moving closer and closer to a one world government system. Now the Antichrist will be the final broker of the whole deal. But this alliance, friends, I need you to hear me. This alliance is taking place right now. There is a reason why Russia is involved in the Middle East. It's called biblical prophecy, and it's aligning just as the word of God said it would. And I'm not going as far, you know me. You guys know I'm not a hellfire brimstone, doom and gloom preacher. I preach hope because Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But this is Bible. This is the word of God. And this is happening. The alignment's taking place. Uh, and I will not go as far to say as this will happen in our lifetime. There's many people that do say that. I will not go as far to say that, but I will say this. It's possible. And that's reality. It's possible. Okay? Um, the one world system that will be instituted will be a one currency system. People will bear one mark, the mark of the beast, as you guys have heard. And uh, that allows you to buy and sell. You know, you'll be able to go into like Kmart and, you know, like check out. Be weird, right? You need a little comic relief there. Um, you know, but there will be one way of doing things, and that's going to be the plan of, of, of the Antichrist. But now, before you all leave here, you know, all nervous and, 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 and uh, <laughs> scared. Oh, God, give me fire insurance, Lord. Ask somebody on your way out what that means. Um, <laughs> um, here's the good news. God knows when this is all going to happen, and before it does, God is going to bring his church, his people, us. He's going to bring us with him to heaven. And then Jesus is going to return, and we're going to return with him. And he's going to judge the world, and it will be destroyed again, but this time not with water, but with a purifying fire. And the whole world will be remade and made new once again. But what Jesus has with him this time are a people who have him in their hearts. 
So then, after this, Jesus is going to bind up that old dragon known as Lucifer, Satan. And Satan and sin, they entered the first time, and this time Satan and sin exit. Come on, somebody. And then we, the church of Jesus Christ, God and redeemed man, not righteous man, God and redeemed man, We'll be together again in paradise. Do you know what the closest English word we have for the Greek word paradise? Do you want to know what it is? Resort. Awesome. Have you ever been to a resort? Come on, this is going to be the best resort you've ever been to. And who doesn't want some of that? Get you some of that, church. God and redeemed man are going to be together with God for all of eternity in paradise. The greatest resort any of us could ever fathom. That, friends, is the mirror image of the Word of God known as the Bible. Is that good? Does that help you guys out a little bit? Explain some stuff in a mirror image? I just love that. So, you know, in closing, we're going to end a little, little sooner this, uh, this week than, than normal. Uh, I'm landing the plane here. Uh, what is the subject of the whole Bible? Because we could look at that mirror image and we could come to this, you know, the conclusion or the assumption that, you know what, the whole Bible, it's actually about us. It's about God reaching down to us. No, no, no. That's not, that, that is true. Listen, we are the object of God's affection. Absolutely. We're the object of God's affection, but Jesus is the subject of the whole Bible. You know, but I thought you said, well, Jesus didn't show up in that narrative to like halfway through. No, 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 no. Listen to me. Jesus was in Genesis. <laughs> Jesus was all through the Old Testament. He shows up all up in the Psalms. He was the fourth man in the fire. I mean, you see him all through the Old Testament. Jesus was there, uh, uh, which I want to I show you something that Jesus says about this very subject. John chapter 5, verse 39 says this. Jesus says, you search the scriptures. Now, time out right there, because when he said this, there was no New Testament. There was only an Old Testament. He says, you search the scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think... They give you life, but the scriptures, all of it, the Old Testament, points to me. The whole thing, friends, the whole thing from Genesis to Revelation is all about our Savior, our Lord, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. It's not about us. We are the object of his affection, but this whole thing is about Jesus. He is truly the main character. So here's how we need to read the Bible, okay? And I'm gonna encourage you between now and next week, I want you to just pick, you know, maybe a psalm, you know, get a, maybe read a proverb, which, Proverbs, which is the book of, of wisdom. Read a psalm. You could start in there, you know, David and, and Asaph and a whole bunch of, you know, a few other people had, had written a bunch of the psalms. But, or get in the New Testament and just, you know, start in like Philippians. Read, just read the first, okay, this is it. I'm handing out some homework. Write this, down on, write this down on your sheet, and we'll talk about this next week, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do pop quiz, and I'm going to ask some people if, if y'all did this, and, and uh, you'll never be invited. I'm kidding. <laughs> so Philippians 2, just read verses 1 through 10. Look it up on your U version. Look it up in the NIV, NLT, maybe the message translation. And literally just take maybe the first even five to six passages of Scripture and let the Word of God read you. 
and sit there. And remember last week we talked about how faith activates the word and how uh, um, revelation activates faith, I think it was, right? And then meditation activates revelation. Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. God, how am I doing in that area? Am I actually, you know, looking at others as better than myself? Scripture's gonna challenge you, people. You know that, right? It's gonna get all up in your, all up in your business, but it's all useful for teaching us how we can look more like Jesus Christ. Jesus is the subject of the whole Bible. So I wanted to say that. You guys wrote it down, right? Philippians 2, just hit 1 through 10. So here's how we need to read the Bible. Search for Jesus. Search for Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures. Read the scriptures to find Jesus. Every single one of us, when we read scripture, when we meditate on scripture, should be having an encounter with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit right with us reading that scripture, fully submitting ourselves and humbling ourselves and asking, you know what, how am I doing in that area, Lord? Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart about how I'm actually doing in the area of thinking of others as better than myself? This is the attitude of Jesus Christ. So as you do that over the next week, I guarantee you, if you'll just take five to 10 minutes, and I suggest doing it the first thing in the morning, or as close to it as you possibly can, starting with opening up that word, and literally, why don't you just read Philippians 1 through 10 the whole week? The whole week. And come back and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about those things, and I guarantee you, things in your life will change. I dare you to do it. God's going to get you in a good way. So when we read the Bible, we must set out on a journey to encounter Jesus and to see what he is asking us to change in our lives so that we can become more like him, so that we might know him better, and so that a world that does not understand him can get a glimpse of Jesus Christ through us. How important is knowing the word of God, friends? I can't even describe it to you. All I need you to, I need it to pass from your mind and thinking about it to being a heart longing. Knowing the word of God is extremely important, friends. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Close up and then Nick, why don't you come and uh, close us out after I'm done. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your holy scriptures. God, I thank you that all of your scripture, every single word from Genesis to Revelation, God, we can, we can use it, God. It's all useful to us. Jesus, thank you for entering into, uh, into time, Lord, so that we could be redeemed, fully redeemed, God, from our sins. Thank you for taking care of something that we could not take care of ourselves, We thank you that you're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Thank you for saving us from ourselves. God, we look forward to the day when you return. God, we cannot wait for that day when we, the redeemed, get to spend all of eternity with you, Lord. 
Holy Spirit, I pray for anybody in this room that's ready to make a decision to follow you with all of their hearts, God, that that they would just make that decision. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw their hearts to Father God right now in Jesus' name, that they would come to a saving personal relationship, not a religion, a saving personal relationship with you, Lord, where they are forever changed. Change their hearts from the inside out, God. Change everything about their lives by changing their heart. Give them the boldness and the courage to stand stand up and to stand out for you, Jesus. And help each of us to no longer look like this world looks, God. Help us to be set apart and sanctified for your holy work. Thank you for all the goodness and all all the great things that you have planned for us, God. But above all, Lord, we just want to know you. That's all we want. We just want to know you more. So I pray in our study time and the time that we spend in in, uh, seeking you and your holy scriptures over the next week, God, even if we only have five minutes, I pray that that five minutes would be amazingly blessed. God, that you would continue to transform us from glory to glory and transform us by renewing our minds, change the way that we think, God. Help us to think like you think. Help your realities of who you say we are become our realities, God, so that we can shine bright in a world that desperately needs to see Jesus, the authentic, real Jesus Christ. No more counterfeits. No more counterfeit Christianity. No more counterfeits. The real deal. Help us all to come to repent of any area and any areas of our life, God, that we don't trust you in. I just pray that, God, people release those things to you right now in Jesus' name that every area of our lives come underneath your lordship. You are our savior, you are our friend, but you are also our Lord and our master, and we follow you, Lord. Help us to live this life out, this thing that we call Christianity, God. I pray that it wouldn't just be something that we hear. It wouldn't just be another sermon or another message, God. Let our lives be the message. In Jesus' holy name, we all together shouted. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to join us live, we meet every Thursday night at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Res Life in Granville, Michigan. Or you can watch us online at reslife.org slash live. You can also keep in touch with the Access Ministry on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Access RLC.